This podcast is brought to you by Nesta, the UK's innovation foundation, and was recorded at FutureFest, our weekend festival of ideas. Copycats, copy-paste, and context. This is the FutureFest podcast. I'm Emily Elias, and we are looking at the music industry and how we experience music in the future. On this episode, the legendary George Clinton tells us about his beginnings. We went to the Holiday Inn and got towels, made diapers out of them. We learn how Instagram is becoming a vehicle for sharing beats, and we have a 4D experience in the music world. I still don't have a good way of explaining it uh, without sounding extremely pretentious. So all that to come, but first, if you don't know who George Clinton is, I'm going to guarantee you that you've probably heard something that he's done over the years. He is one of the most sampled artists in the recording industry. He's the mastermind behind P-Funk. He revolutionized R&B with his bands Funkadelic and Parliament, and he's captured over 40 R&B hit singles, recorded three platinum albums. Now add to that resume his own spaceship. Not many people can say that. At Future Fest, George Clinton sat down with journalist Echo Eschen to look back on his career. Humans got to be a part of it. To me, crazy is a prerequisite in the record business. <laughs> you know, if you ain't crazy, you don't need to be there. You know, so we had to make jokes out of the things because the topics are so serious. You know, there's enough people telling you how serious it is. Mm. You know, we got enough of that. It, it seems to me you almost created the anti-Motown, as it were. You had the most brilliant musicians that you could find, amazing. We called it loud, we called it loud Motown. Do you know, and how, how, so if Motown was about formality and hierarchy and you gotta wear suits and you gotta produce like this and sound like this, yours was, let's, let's create a collective, let's create a kind of flat hierarchy, not a top-down thing, but a sort of everyone works together. Well, we, and, yeah, we had to do that because what was happening at that time, slick was being played out. The hippies was the new thing young kids was doing. And we could do that, that's, that's funky. That's what we call funk, that call, we call that poor. Easy to do that. You know, we couldn't keep our ties alike. We couldn't keep our hair done. You know, so that was hard. When we came hip to be anti that, oh, we wore that out. We went to the Holiday Inn and got towels, made diapers out of them, took sheets, made, you know, capes out of them. We went crazy. Pink Floyd had a production that I set out, I wanted to do that. Then I saw hair to play. I wanted to do that. Beatles, Sgt. Pepper. All of that to me was big theater. So when I say I want something bigger than not only any black artist, but any white artist. So I said, get me a spaceship. I'm still trying to get off the planet. How would you define the look, the imagery? What was, what was, what was, what was the fad then? What was the cartoons. We did like a bunch of cartoons. Boots used to call me Bert. I used to call him Big Bird. You know, Sesame Street looked just like us, Gary, looked like Grover. You know, we, that whole cartoon mentality, his glasses, everything about it, we were aiming it at 
the people that's going to dance and buy records, which is basically kids. And so what comes first? Is it the concept? Is it the music? Is it the metaphor? Con concepts. When we get ready to do a concept, I just give them the title and we just start like, you know, throw ideas up in the air and everybody shoot at them. See what jokes you can come out with. See how silly you can make the concept. See how utterly stupid you can make it, but still make it re relate to what you're talking about. You know, puns, play on words. Started off, got that from Smokey Robinson. Play on words, mostly that was love songs. But after the six, after the 70s, I started doing it with political or socials. Well, talk, 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 talk the same thing. I, I make stupid statements like free your mind, your ass will follow. You know, I thought it was some stupid, I didn't think that it was that deep. Years later, when people started saying, that helped me through my life, those, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, you know what? And when people start taking me serious, you know, like, bring on the knowledge, brother, teach them. I had to like get out, I had to get out of that. And you know, that way people didn't put that pressure on you to be no God. I, ain't, I get paid to do this. I paid a, a half million dollars for this patient. It's supposed to work. Now look, so, it seems to me that, that in all the play, it's pos that it's possible to be playful and serious oh, yeah. at the same time with all yeah. this. Yeah, you, you it is a thin line. You have to walk a thin line. But as long as I think, I've always felt if your intentions is correct, you're going to make mistakes. But if your intentions is honorable, I just look at it like this. Funk to me is do the best you can and then funk it. For more George Clinton, go to nesta.org.uk and watch a full video of his talk. And his book, Brothers Be Yo Like George, Ain't That Funkin' Kinda Hard On Ya, a memoir, is out now. you had to leave home to find new music? You know, you had to walk to a building that sold records and then buy one and then put that into a specific machine that's only function was to play that song. I don't mean to show my vintage, but I do. And let's be honest, it really wasn't that long ago. This day and age, it's point, tap, and the entire musical world is at your fingertips. Nesta's lead curator, Pat Kane, Joanna Seguro, creative director and curator at Artists and Engineers, and composer Stevie Wishart sat down at FutureFest to talk about how social media is shaping how musicians share their music and the community they're building. There's lots of really positive things. I think the sense of community, of exchange, you know, I get most of my recommendations through my Facebook feed that my friends are posting a video that, you know, like I know a few people that I trust what they listen to and when they post it, I get really excited about it and I do want to listen to it. And it, that feels more of a natural way than going to a record shop now. And I find that that is really fantastic because it's, it's a way of sharing knowledge and being able to um, find those gems that are hidden out there in the sea of too much information and a lot of music. Um, there's also something else, which is like, you know, these days, software, music making opportunities are available and they are available for free. I mean, it was really exciting at times when people were making tracks with Fruity Loops, it was something that was free and they were able to create it or just being able to give really simple tools to people to sort of like start exploring and maybe be able to develop things a bit further. Um, 
And on those levels, uh, I think it's really exciting. I have a lot of my friends that are doing like tiny Instagram videos of their synth patches that they do, and it's almost sort of like the new type of release. Normally, they wouldn't see the light of day because they'll just be explorations, but they'll just do these videos of like a new patch I've done, and all of a sudden, like thousands of people are watching it. I think that's just fantastic. And, when, and for final point, when I'm researching your work, I go to YouTube. I find a, a clip of your performance, and below it, there's an instant community of yeah. commenters. Yeah. So uh, this, this is a very good point. And, and the thing is that we are so empowered now. It's fantastic. I mean, 10, 20 years ago, we needed a record company, we needed a publisher, we needed loads of money to do a CD. Now we can just go and do it. And it's, that is just so invigorating at all levels of music making, I think. High tech, low tech, don't care what it is, but we're really empowered, I think. But I think, I mean, <laughs> I think one of the things, again, the, the general thrumming themes of Future Fest, one of them is future machines, it's robotics, yeah. it's the coming wave of automation replacing labour. Craft yeah, is probably one of the things that will occupy the consumer-shaped yeah, hole in our chests because it, it, we do it with others and it's fun, but it requires... We don't have to consume too much carbon to get good at something. So there's maybe, there's maybe a sort of sense in which craft is, uh, which is the, the prime enjoyment of music making, yeah. I think, maybe. And, and to some degree, music listening, I think there's a craft in music listening as well. I kind of, I kind of becomes a bigger that, solution. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, that there's, there's as much craft in, in, in digital technology and laptops as in all yeah. the traditional music, but we haven't got all that history. So, I mean, we, we've, we've got a long way to go in that, you know, we're starting from scratch. Now let's move on to a new way to experience music. Imagine a circle of chairs surrounding a small orchestra. As the music kicks in, you are blindfolded and handed a spoon containing a mysterious object to eat. Then a team of dancers break out into a series of choreographed moves so that you don't just hear the music, you feel it. You're pushed, pulled, hugged, spritzed with scent. Well. That's what choreographer Stephanie Singer did at Future Fest with the sensory score featuring Bittersweet and Tanya Eau Claire. So it's a complete debut of a, an original piece by Tanya Eau Claire, who's an incredible composer. She's an electronica kind of experimental pop composer by trade. Um, and I've seen her music before, I've seen her perform, and I just felt like her music was 3D in a way that I haven't really heard music speak to me in that way that's been written right now. So I approached her after Nestor approached me um, to write a piece for this particular festival. She gave us the music and then we spent six, ten days in a room, in a very dark room with absolutely no windows, um, listening to the music and breaking it down sound by sound and thinking how can we make the sound or the music that Tanya has created into a sensory experience that will deepen the way that we listen to that piece of music. Uh, we work with a chef and a perfumer to take specific moments of the music and make it into um, a taste experience or a smell experience. So some examples um, with the taste in particular, the first piece is very metallic and kind of electronic. So the chef um, use something called a Szechuan bud. I hope he doesn't mind me giving away all his secrets. Um, they use something called a Szechuan bud that numbs your tongue and then turns it, it has a pins and needles effect um, and it's got a metallic taste and it just kind of produces loads of saliva essentially. There's like a sound that we would call like a hum um, and we have to think about how you relate the hum into a kind of sensory experience. And in this particular one, we chose a kind of all-encompassing, huge pillow 
fuzzy hug. Um, and it works differently for every single, every single sound that we find. So there was another sound in there which is kind of called the cloud. Um, and it's just like this synth, synth that kind of fills a huge space within the music. It's not really um, noticeable, but it's always there. And that's kind of the same thing for smell. So then we think about what kind of nature is it dissonant, is it um, tonal, and then we think about what kind of character it has musically, what role it's playing in the music, and then we assign it with a sense. Um, so it works like that. I still don't have a good way of explaining it uh, without sounding extremely pretentious. Because it's actually, it's not, I don't think it's a pretentious experience, it's just kind of, it's just about finding a way to make people happy. So what did the audience make of this experience? Um, it, it was amazing. <laughs> got blindfolded um, and immersed into the music so it's kind of totally depending on the people and using our senses. It was just uh, the, the best adjective is unexpected I suppose but um, it was interesting I like the whole um, cross-central thing going on. It was quite a dramatic experience you can't really describe it really. Um, yeah, it was great. Imagine just sort of giving yourself to somebody else and saying, okay, you can push me, you can pull me, you can move me around, you can feed me, and just letting them do that and being fine about it. It was, it was a really great experience. I sat down and I participated. I was in one of those chairs in the circle, and I must say, it felt really strange at first. You're like a blindfolded marionette being manipulated, but you get into it, and it is a departure from the way we traditionally experience music, but it feels pretty good. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Future Fest podcast. This podcast featured music by Broke for Free, Bittersweet and Tanya Eau Claire, and Jazzer. Future Fest is brought to you by Nesta, the independent innovation charity with a mission to help people and organizations bring great ideas to life. To join the conversation, go to nesta.org.uk, where, as I mentioned, you will find that video of George Clinton talking about his career. We'll be back next time, where it's all about the data and who's reading it. But until then, I'm Emily Elias. Goodbye.